Hey, good morning, everyone. Good to see you in church this morning. I want to say a welcome to all of our church family joining us online this morning. We're certainly happy to have you with us as well. Before we jump into the sermon, I just want to make the announcement that we are just about 10 days out from the great fast that we call Lent. And Lent is a journey towards the resurrection. It's a journey towards Easter. And Christ our Savior taught us that there is no resurrection without death and that there is no following him without taking up our cross and following him. And it's in that spirit that we practice this, this fast, apprenticing ourselves to Jesus, learning from him, and in a sense, fresh and anew, re-examining our lives in the light of the cross of Christ. And so I just want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to begin to prepare yourself. Um, it's a time when we uh, usually take on a few extra spiritual disciplines to kind of refocus ourselves. And uh, I just want to encourage you to think about the ways that you want to practice Lent, the things that you might want to be giving up, the ways that you might want to be fasting. Um, it's also a time of almsgiving where we set aside a little bit of our money um, that we can give an extra gift to the poor in this time. And so I uh, just want to invite you to begin to prayerfully discern how you might uh, practice Lent as it is coming upon us soon. All right, let's jump into this beautiful text we have this morning, which is really uh, a sermon that's a continuation of the sermon that we were discussing last week, if you were here. Jesus had come on the scene, and he is proclaiming, uh, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he uh, begins to tell them things like these healings that you're seeing, and this restoration of people to community, these folks who have been marginalized, so the poor and the mourning, and those who have been rejected, and the forgiveness of sinners, and also the presence of evil that is being driven out from the community. We call this exorcism. All these are signs that this kingdom that is coming has already started to break in among you. A new world is coming into being through the ministry of Jesus. And it's because of that that we have this sermon. How would we live if the good news is true? If the kingdom is breaking in now, how would we live according to these new rules of the kingdom? And so Jesus preaches a sermon. Today I want to talk about becoming children of the Most High. I want to talk about the what of Jesus' message, and then I want to talk about the why of Jesus' message, and then finally, the how. So let's start with the what. This whole section uh, that Deacon Jarrell read for us earlier is summarized really well in verse 36 and 37. This is what Jesus says, kind of in summary, after he's been fleshing it out. He says, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind and grateful to the wicked. Be merciful, 
just as your father is merciful. And so here in this verse, we have these themes that are interwoven uh, through, you know, from verse uh, 27 on down to the end of the passage. Love of enemies, doing good, and giving gifts. This is the what of the message. Love your enemies. Now, can you guys imagine a world where it's virtuous to hate your enemies? That would be so wild, right? Can you imagine living in a culture where people almost seem like it was good to not like people on the other side of things, right? Wouldn't that be so uh, bizarre, right? Like if people actually hated people like in the opposite political party, right? And just always demeaning those people. I know it's hard for us to imagine, but this is the kind of world in which Jesus came. And just in case we might think that he is just kind of talking about has some kind of feelings in your heart, he fleshes out what it might look like practically to love your enemies. He's like, no, I actually want you to do good for those who hate you. I actually want you to bless people who curse you and to pray for people that abuse you. Keep in mind the kind of audience, uh, the kind of congregation that is gathered there around Jesus. These are the hated and the cursed and the abused. And when someone slaps you in the face, go ahead and turn your face so that they can hit the other side. And you know what? If they're taking your coat, go ahead and give them your shirt too. Essentially, Jesus is saying, don't make a distinction between your friends and your enemies. There is this idea of kinship. And kinship are those who are either in my family or these are folks that are so close to me, we treat each other like family. And with kinship, we have this idea of the people that belong to me and the people that I belong to, right? And we have sayings like, oh, you got to take care of your own, right? And so we're ready to lend to people that we kind of see as folks that belong to us, right? And we're ready to do good to them almost no matter what, because there are people. This is kinship, and this idea is very much alive in Jesus' day, and Jesus has come to redefine kinship. One of my heroes in the faith is a man that goes by Father G. His name is Father Greg Boyle, and Father Greg uh, started, um, uh, well, really, he was the pastor of the Dolores Mission in Boyle Heights in Los Angeles, which is one of the most dangerous uh, gang-controlled neighborhoods of all of Los Angeles. And um, it was there that Father G literally in the streets was working out peace and kind of standing in between folks that were ready to get into a scuffle, really standing in between bullets often. And he started this program called Homeboy Industries. And it's about jobs, not jail. So it's a way to get these uh, gang members out from doing their thing in the street and have jobs. He says, nothing stops a bullet like a job. And he's got a wonderful book called Tattoos on the Heart. And there's actually a great just TED talk that's around it. I'm going to share that. If you guys get the email, I'm going to share that this week. Because really what he says in the TED talk is great commentary on Luke 4, 5, and 6, which we've been talking about. And it just fits so good with the sermon and if, if you listen to it, you're going to think, man, Father G's been reading Luke, and I'm sure he has. 
And as he's giving his talk, Father G likes to create, Saint, uh, likes to quote St. Mother Teresa. And she says this, the problem with the world is that we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Like Jesus, Father G invites us to imagine a circle of compassion in which no one exists outside of the circle. That's a new vision of kinship. And so he writes, a new daylight, no daylight to separate us, only kinship, inching ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine with God the circle of compassion. And then we imagine no one standing outside of that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that, one, so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. And I'm sure as we think about that language and we think about the language of Luke, there is so much there that fits together. Father G has spent his life taking enemies from opposing gangs that were out in the streets shooting at each other, and he's giving them jobs in kitchens and places all over LA, and they're learning to love each other, and they're learning a new way of thinking about kinship and who belongs to who. Love your enemies. That means no one is outside of your circle of compassion. There is no one that doesn't belong to you. And the Bible scholar and commentator Joel Green says it like this about this passage. Jesus calls his followers to form a community with porous boundaries where the primary characteristic, I'm sorry, the primary characteristic behavior is its refusal to treat others, even or especially those who hate, exclude, revile, or defame you as if they were enemies. It's a porous community. So it's a very distinct community, because actually if you're following Jesus and you're living this way, you're actually gonna be very radically different from the world, right? But in yet, this same community is refusing to make distinctions between who's in and who's out. Who's enemy and who's kinship? In fact, we're going to treat everyone as if they belong to us. So he says, love your enemies. And really, everything in this passage kind of fits in under that. That would include doing good to everyone, not just the folks that are doing good to you, right? And so Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you. And he says, hey, if you're good to people who are good to you, what credit is that to you, right? If we're good to the people that are good to us, we are actually behaving just as good as the mafia, right? 
Like, I'm not bashing the mafia, right? Like, I love a good mafia movie, right? I'm not criticizing these guys. But all I'm trying to say is we're trying to take moral credit for being good to folks that are good to us. Like, that's just baseline mafia level, right? Like, that's how it works. And Jesus is reminding them of that. And he says, hey, if you lend to people who cannot repay you, he says, you've got to lend to people, even those who cannot repay you. Give to everyone who begs to you. And again, he says, if you lend to folks who repay you, what credit is that to you? Don't sinners do this? He says, doesn't Washington Mutual lend the folks expected in return, right? What moral credit is it to you is if you are as moral as a, as a corporate bank, right? I'm not bashing banks, right? I bank. I like a good loan here and there. But he's just saying, right? Like, if you think you're good for that, you're basically just as good as Washington Mutual. He's making a distinction here between reciprocity and sharing. And I want to tease this out a little bit uh, just because there's some details here that, you know, it takes a little thinking through. Um, The Roman society, so its economy, its political system is all built on a system of reciprocity. It's a system of client and patrons. It's a very hierarchical society. And basically, we have these patrons and benefactors that give to clients. And these clients, in a sense, will repay through their services. They'll repay through honor, through respect, respect and prestige. In a sense, everyone in this culture knows who's my benefactor and who are my clients, right? And so you've got Caesar at the top. He's the ultimate benefactor, and everything flows from him, all goodness, right? And so you've got kind of royalty and kind of elites that are under him and, and kind of on down. And so what happened was if, you're a, if you are uh, one of these benefactors, you give the folks expecting in return. And in a sense, if you are a client, you're always trying to help those people in return for their services, right? And this is what we mean by reciprocity. And we can contrast this with the kind of sharing that Jesus is advocating for. Instead of giving gifts to people to obligate them into service, let's just give to people without expecting anything in return. Instead of looking for a reward for your generosity, let God be the one to repay you. So he says, lend without expecting return and your reward will be great. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We put in your lap for the good measure will, uh, for the good measure you give will be measured back to you. And one commentator said about this passage, actually, in Jesus saying this, it subverts the whole entire Roman political system because it's all built on this idea of, of we've got this benefactor in Rome, you know, named, named Caesar, and everything that flows kind of flows out from that. And what Jesus is saying, no, actually, you need to see God as the benefactor. You need to see him as the one that you're looking to repay you, and don't worry about all these other folks. So this is the what. You've got to love your enemies. You've got to do good to people who don't deserve it. And you've got to lend to people without strings attached. But this is the problem with the what? Jesus, if we do as you say, one, people will take advantage of us. And two, we will be giving people things they don't 
deserve. Which is exactly right. And that leads us to the why of Jesus' message. What does Jesus say? Love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind and grateful to the wicked. I'm sorry, he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. And so it turns out, friends, that if you don't give people what they deserve, and if you give them what they don't deserve, then you're actually acting like God. Here is the gospel. In Romans 5, it says this, for while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the apostle Paul goes on to say, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely having been reconciled will we be saved by his life. Why should you love your enemies? Because the gospel. Because of the good news. Because you, my friends, were an enemy of God. And even though you're an enemy, Christ loved you and he died for you. And why should you do good to people who are not good to you? Because God does it all the time. And God has been blessing you your entire life, providing food and shelter and everything you need, regardless of how we behave. And why should you lend the folks who can't repay you? Because God loves you so much that he gave the most precious thing in the universe. He gave his one and only son, his life for your life. And this is what we call grace. It's a free gift of God. And you could never repay it. And guess what? That's okay. You don't have to repay it. That's why it's a gift, right? That's what gifts are all about. So the what of the message is this, love your enemies, do good, give without strings attached. And then the why of the message, of the, the why of the message is simply the gospel. The gospel is at the heart of all that we do. God loves us and he's good to us and he's generous to us. And so we simply extend that same love and that goodness and generosity to others, and by doing so, we testify to the truth of the gospel, and in doing so, Jesus says we become children of the Most High, and what he means by that is in this day, it's the idea that kids are the product of their parents. Kids reflect the character of their parents, and he's saying if you do this in the world, you're going to show the people what your Father in heaven is like, because our Father in heaven is merciful. So we've talked about the what, we've talked about the why. Now let's talk about the how of Jesus' message. How can we live out this sermon? 
How can we become the kind of people who are capable of loving our enemies? If you notice, everything Jesus said was really great. It was like really on point. It's like, man, we can see how beautiful it is, right, for someone to live like that in the world. But then if we go out and we actually try it, we find that it's actually really difficult. Like, what does it really take to become the kind of person that just naturally blesses folks who curse you? Like, what would it take for when someone cuts you off on the 285 for just the most natural thing to come out out of your mind is, Lord, bless that person. I pray your hand of protection on them as they drive down the 285. Just keep them. They're kind of driving reckless today, and I'm sure they're trying to make it to the hospital or something really important. (laughs) But I just pray that you bless them. Is that what flows out of you? It's often not what flows out of me. How do we become these kind of people that refuses to return violence for violence? How do we become these people of compassion who refuses to see anyone as our enemy, refuses, as Father G says, to see anyone outside of the circle of compassion? I don't know about you guys, but I really want to become this kind of person. I want to become the kind of person that just leaks love and joy and peace and patience and self-control and gentleness. Like, I want to live this way in the world. And all these things that we're naming, there's a word for them. One word for it is virtue. These are Christian virtues. One definition, well, I just say my definition of virtue, we could describe it this way, is that when somebody does something that's really beautiful and really good and really difficult, and yet they make it look easy. It's really good, it's really beautiful, it's really difficult, and yet when they do it, they make it look easy easy. You could think about the word virtue, and you could think about the word virtuoso. Like you ever see someone just play like a violin, it's just so amazing and beautiful. It's like, how are their fingers moving that fast? And how did they memorize that piece? And how are they going through, right? Or you see someone like Yo-Yo Ma playing the cello, and it's like, just how does he do that? Or you see someone like uh, Venus Williams just moving her body in ways that it's like, I cannot imagine how she got to the ball like that and made that hit, right? Like, I could never do that. These are virtuosos. And so we could ask the question, how do we become a Venus? How do we become a virtuoso? Did anybody read that book a while back, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell? I like it. I like him. He's had some good podcasts in there. The book actually got a lot of criticism. Um, Kind of scientists were saying, actually, we checked this out. It doesn't exactly work. So part of what he was saying is like 10,000 hours. Like, if you want to be really good at something, it's not about being a genius or just naturally gifted. Actually, you just need like a lot of time doing it. And if you could spend 10,000 hours, you'll, get, you'll become an expert in something. And I think what he's saying is, is partly right. But I think there's more to it. Uh, and I think what researchers are saying, it's more than that. Part of it actually is a gift. So you've got to kind of have a gift in something. And then uh, another part of it is influence. You've got to have the right influence. And then with gift and influence plus the practice, right, the 10,000 hours, you can do something. 
So let's think about somebody like Venus Williams. Well, she's amazingly gifted, right? Like the Lord has given her an amazing athletic body. She's got the right mind. She is gifted, like she has the natural aptitude to become an a really amazing athlete. So she's got the gift, but then she also had the, the influence, right? Like she had a father who was like super intent on making sure that his daughters were gonna be like these star athletes, right? And so she grew up in a family and in an environment that formed her and shaped her in a way that she would become the kind of person that actually wants it, right? And so her, her father helped saw the gift, but also created an environment in which she could become something like this. And then, of course, on top of that, she's got the 10,000 plus hours, right? She's got the practice. So you think about the gift plus the influence plus the practice. And I'm wondering if for us, if we're asking the question, how do we become a virtuoso? How do we become the kind of people that can do something that's really beautiful, really good, and yet really difficult, and it just seemed natural to us. Like I just naturally gave love to someone, right, when they bumped into me. I think we, we might be able to follow in this uh, line of thinking. And so when I think of gift, I think of the gift of the Holy Spirit that is at work in you. I think about this gift that is a grace to us And it's the spirit of Christ that is alive and working in us to form us into the image of Christ. And it's not that I'm naturally a good person on my own. I'm as fallen as the next person. But the Holy Spirit is alive and at work in us and wanting to shape us and to be these kinds of people. And so, one, we've got to recognize that we have received grace and we have received this gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the second idea is influence. And by this, I simply mean the Christian community. By that, I mean this church family. Uh, Stanley Harawas says this. He's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, but it applies also to the Sermon on the Plain. He says, the sermon is not a heroic effort. I'm sorry. The sermon is not a heroic ethic. It is the constitution of a people. You cannot live by the demands of the sermon on your own. But that is not the point. The demands of the sermon are designed to make us depend on God and on one another. We need each other to live this out. How do we become people of virtue? We become people of virtue in the community of virtue. We need each other. I need you guys to train me in kindness and in gentleness. We need to build each other up in things like self-control. If we're going to be lending to people without expecting return, I need a folks around me that I know we're going to share life and help each other to kind of make it through, right? It's impossible to live this message out on your own and in isolation. And the good thing is it was never meant to be. We become a community in a sense of virtuosos as the Spirit enables us together, and we build each other up. And the Spirit does it in us. There's the gift of the Spirit. There's the influence of our family, the Christian community. And then finally, practice. 
And I said it earlier, if you try to love your enemies, go ahead and try, you will fail. <laughs> if you try to be gentle, you'll fail. If you try to be self-controlled, you're gonna have moments of failure. And that failure actually pushes us back to the grace of God. It reminds us about the cross. It reminds us about our need for forgiveness. It reminds us for the need of the spirit to do continued work. And so we come in here together and together we confess. We have not loved you with our whole hearts and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And in doing so, kind of that practice and that continual coming back to God is part of the process in which we are shaped. And it's the grace of God and his Holy Spirit. It shapes us and it forms us as we live together in the community of the Spirit. And I want to say in faith that by God's grace, we will grow up together into the full stature of Christ. Trinity, I hope you could say it with me, that we want to be the kind of community that's capable of living this out together. Let's be the kind of people that together by God's grace and the power of the Spirit that can live out this beautiful vision that we have received from Jesus. May God grant us grace to become a community of virtuosos. Amen.